We've been looking at the New Testament book of Colossians and following along as Paul has been writing to that church. Uh, it is a new church and uh, he has never visited the church. He is writing them because one of the one of his converts out of his ministry in Ephesus was from the city of the town of Colossae and they went back to their hometown and shared the gospel and there was a group of believers that formed kind of a church. Problems began to arise a little bit, so this man Epaphras left Colossae and traveled 1,300 miles to Rome where Paul had been imprisoned to tell him about the problems and so Paul is responding with a letter that he's writing to the church and we are going through that letter and uh, reading it and um, that is in the process of what we're looking at now. We're going to be looking at the subject of growth this morning because that's one of the topics that he talks about in that letter. But before we do that, let's ask the Lord's blessing on this time. While I was sitting there as Pete was praying, thinking about all the areas of need in my life and the areas of responsibility things that need to be done that are not being done all the time the way they should and thinking about your mercy and your grace your patience and your love and your care thinking about this church uh, these problems and these goals and these these things that come into our hearts and minds are not new they've been in the hearts of people that have been serving you for years and years generations but yet at the same time, you are the stable and solid rock, the one who owns the church, who gave his life for us that we might have life and want to use us. And so we pray this morning that you would take up that work of enlightening our hearts, that your spirit would be working, your word would be working, that we would be listening. Lord, I pray that you, and you alone will be the one that is exalted here this morning. And that you are the one that we would hear from. We have your word here in front of us. I pray that we won't start it, distort it, that I won't distort it, that I won't water it down, but that it'll speak, it'll speak with the authority that you desire. And it will challenge us because growth is very important. And so I ask you to do that Pray that you would help me not to get in the way. And I ask this in the Savior's name of thanksgiving. Amen. Growth, the topic of, of growth is, is, as I said, is what we're looking at this morning. And perhaps I will um, call in writing, if I can back up to Colossians chapter 1 and verse 9, if you want to follow along. Paul is he's given an introduction. He's talked about the church a little bit, the people and how he's thankful for them and the fact that they are, are listening to and growing. And uh, he says, uh, was thankful for what the love that God was demonstrating among the saints. And he says in verse nine, for this reason also, since the day we heard of it, have not ceased to pray for you and to ask that you may be filled with the knowledge of his will. There is Paul praying for the church. And since he's heard of their conversion, the work that has been done in their midst, he's not ceased to pray. He's, they've been a regular burden on his heart. I always, when I read those things, think about what kind of burdens 
do I have on my heart? What is it that's serious enough to me that I would take the time to continually pray? That gives us a picture, doesn't it, of Paul's heart and the things that burden his heart. And uh, that's one reason why Paul is so significant because his heart was really pouring out to the Lord and serving the Lord. And that's really very, very important to him. It's also very important to the Lord. And I think it should be very important to us as well. So he's praying for this church, praying that they would be filled. The word filled means to be controlled. They would be controlled with the knowledge that's actually emphatic, full knowledge, really, experiential knowledge that this church would be filled with the knowledge of God's will and all spiritual wisdom and understanding. That's just kind of an involved way of Paul saying, I want you to know God's will, and I want you to have the wisdom and the understanding of how to apply that to your life and your walk with the Savior. We all need that. We need that wisdom. We need that insight. Many times, and I, some of you know and some of you don't know but perhaps, but I, what I'm doing on the side, if you will, to help pay expenses and things is I work as a cashier down at Lowe's. I originally did that uh, primarily just to help take care of expenses, but since I've started, it has turned out to be a real good avenue for just sharing with people because I'm talking with people all the time. And uh, while many of them I now know, I've gotten to know a lot of them, quite a few of them, but uh, it gives so many opportunities to talk about the Lord. And, and, and I don't mean to make it sound like that I'm there talking about the Lord all the time. I'm not. In fact, sometimes I go a whole day and never really say much except, oh, the Lord's given us a good day or we're thankful to the Lord for this, but just, just casual stuff. But some have been very serious times and some I've been able to pray with. And uh, it's, it's, um, it's a real interesting opportunity that God has given that I did not expect, was not looking for that, but I can see his hand on that. Because when I'm here at the church or at the office, I was in home going over my notes, which is something that I'm gasping for air now to do because it takes a bit of study to get to the text and stuff like that. And my time is taken up with so many things. But in doing that, um, it, it, uh, when you're in the church, you don't have an opportunity to meet a lot of people, a lot of strangers. But if I'm working there at Lowe's from four or five hours a day, uh, or sometimes eight or nine hours a day, I'm talking to strangers from morning to night, and it uh, gives an opportunity. God knows, doesn't he? But the spiritual wisdom and understanding, I think, is to just know that God is in charge and have an understanding of what he wants us to do and the priorities, his priorities that are, that are important for our lives. And so the, we're talking here, don't disconnect these things from your life. Let these things kind of speak to your heart and your life where you are and how you're going to grow and how you can mature in the things of Christ. The Bible talks about growth. Uh, it's a very common term. I was just looking on my phone there, which is one of my tools for studying the text and looking for the word growth. And it goes all the way back to the Old Testament. A lot of it, different things are growing, but one of the big things of people like Isaac grew and Jacob grew and all these people and the kids, they, they have children, they grow up and that's the idea and it goes into the New Testament. And so it's a, it's a common word. It's something that we 
want to put into our lives. If you have a child and that child is not growing, that is an extremely serious concern for you. And that's true not only with humans and babies and puppies. By the way, um, I have been impressed with the growth of little Isaac. He's been growing up and he's such a sweet little boy and uh, he's growing so fast, but so is that dog. I could, uh, that little puppy was just a week. I saw him last Sunday, then here the Wednesday night, and it almost looked like a different dog. He's grown so much so fast. So it's normal to grow when you're glad to have that growth, so glad to see it. And, uh, but especially is it true in the scriptures, that's what we're going to look at. And so here in this text that we're looking at, where Paul says he's been asking to be filled with the full knowledge of his will and all spiritual understanding, he gets into this topic of growth. He says, so that you will walk in a manner worthy of the Lord to please him in all respects, a bearing fruit in every good work, and increasing in the knowledge of God. All right, now that's, I'm just going through three or four topics that we looked at, but at the end of that is this area of, of walking in a manner worthy of the Lord, pleasing him, and we've talked about that, so I'm not going to relabel that other than we know that the, the full knowledge that God has given to us dictates something about how we should walk. We want to walk in a manner that is honoring to our Savior, to our Lord, not only that, but we want to please him, which is something that we don't come into the world wanting to do. We want to come into the world doing what we want to do. We like to think that we can please him, and we talk about him sometimes as the man upstairs or, or whatever in words that we, we hope will make him happy, and we can, might be able to manipulate him to bless our life a little bit. But actually, this is the, the fact is that he's, he is a sovereign Lord, and we are being should bear fruit and seek to please him because he's changed our heart. He's given us a new life and uh, to bear fruit in every good work and then this increasing in the knowledge of god and i'm going to stop there because that's what we're going to look at that aspect here talking about the full knowledge pleasing him bearing fruit on every good work and increasing so that it's not stagnant it, we don't atrophy we don't sit still we grow we mature the concept of growth in the New Testament, um, first of all, there's, there's a, just a normal use of growth that we would use, and the New Testament does. For example, uh, Jesus talked about how the lilies of the field grow in Matthew 6, 28. They, they grow, they mature, they blossom, they're very pretty. Um, in Luke 1, 80, talking about John the Baptist, it says, and the child continued to grow and to become strong in spirit. The same is true with Jesus in Luke 2, 40, where it says the child continued to grow and become strong, increasing in wisdom and the grace of God upon him. That's growth. That's just a normal, we, we use that word. We understand what it means. Flowers, lilies grow. Um, one area that I thought was interesting is Stephen in his defense when he was being stoned he was rehearsing the history of the nation of Israel and, and what God had been doing. And he says in verse 17, that as the time of the promise was approaching, which God had assured to Abraham, the people increased and multiplied in Egypt. And that phrase increase is the same word for growth. It just means that here's a group of people and they were prospering in Egypt and they were growing 
And I think the idea there of growing is not just that people individually, if you laid them all out, could see progress in their physical size, but that they were growing as a body, as a nation, as a people, as a family. They were growing together. They, they came down to Egypt as a family, but they left under Moses as a nation, God bringing them through the Red Sea, baptizing them through the Red Sea. And so you have this family, which is referred to um, even in the New Testament as the sons of Israel. They are the children of Israel, they're the family of Israel, but they're also a people, a nation. And uh, so this growth is a way of, of talking about coming together, sort of being united together and maturing, you see what I'm saying, and becoming um, a nation, becoming a people. Um, and so that's, it's, it's huge to speak of growth like that. Uh, it's it's um, in, the, in the book of Acts, it talks about the word of God was spreading and the number of the disciples continued to increase greatly. And this is the early church, greatly in Jerusalem, and a great many of the priests were becoming obedient to the faith. That is such a, that term, that verse is such, is so pregnant with so many things that are significant. But the thing that I want to point out to you is it talks about the word of God, which is the ministry of the preaching of God's word. The word of God kept spreading, and the word spreading is the word grow. It kept growing. And the number of disciples continued to increase greatly in Jerusalem. If you remember now, the early church was brand new. It was on the day of Pentecost when it started. And so you have a church of a lot of little babies. And that's why you have the spiritual gifts running around. God gave that early church some powerful gifts so that the, the members could function as mature believers, even though they were infants. And so here we have this early church. And they, they, it says they were increasing greatly in Jerusalem. And there were many of the priests were becoming obedient to the faith. That's such an exciting statement of how God was doing there and that body of, of believers there. And the thing I want you to see is that it's used there for the word of God that kept growing. It kept, it's, it's speaking of the word is used, in other words, not just a physical, but of the influence of the scriptures, the influence of the word into society, into people. It was it was growing, it was maturing like that. Um, the growth of the church in Ephesus under the ministry of Paul after the remember the, the sons of Sceva casting out the demons of the Jews were not able to do that. And it said in connection with that, that after that, after that guy that they were trying to cast the demon out with, and you know the, the, the ministry there in Acts 19. I don't understand fully how this man who was demon possessed could disrobe these priests unless they were just robed primarily with a robe or some kind of vested garment and they were trying to cast out or exercise this demon. And the guy that was had the demon came upon them, turned upon them and beat them up and ripped the garments off and they all fled. That testimony became public notice or public knowledge. And uh, it said it became known to both Jews and Greeks and all who lived in Ephesus and fear fell on all of them. And the name of the Lord Jesus was magnified or exalted there so that the power of the spirit of God through the believers was, was manifested. And uh, many also of those who believed 
kept coming and confessing and disclosing their practices. So what do you have here in that church? Do you have the Spirit of God moving and, and working and the people making serious commitments and dedications? Sometimes we, we uh, have service after service after service where we ask people to rededicate their lives or ask people to think about God <coughs> and stuff. And why do we have to do that? It's because, <laughs> because our commitment is kind of short life sometimes. We, we commit ourselves to the Lord and then we turn around and go back and turn on that idol box or whatever and we get distracted and it doesn't take long, does it? Have our attentions and our affections detoured. And so that's the same with these people here. Also, they were, there were uh, many who uh, were coming and confessing and disclosing their practice. And many of those who kept, who practiced magic, that's occult stuff, brought their books together and began burning them in the sight of everyone. And they counted up the price of them and found it to be 50,000 pieces of silver. So the, here are the people that were very serious about their, their conversion and their dedication and their surrender to the Lord. And it said, then in answer to that, so the word of the Lord was growing mightily and prevailing. The influence of the scriptures is very powerful. That we, we, we want to generate in the church obedience, life, surrender to the Lord, to please him, to serve him, to love him. We want to generate that. We can't generate that. We can't make dead people alive. We can't move stagnant living into full, robust, fruitful living. We can't do that. We can't crank it out. We can't program it. It can only be done as the Spirit of God takes the Word of God and applies it to your heart. That's where my struggle is. Martin Luther said, I fear my heart more than I do the Cardinals of Rome. And that's because my heart is so self-centered. Was it Calvin that said that the heart is an idol factory? That it's always formulating these little idols, these things that, that attract me and that I again pursue to worship it, to distract my attention from things that are important to little things on the side. And all kinds of things can creep into that, become little idols that are just really important. And it's so easy for us to do that. And the only one that can really turn the heart around is the Lord. And the tool that is used by the Spirit is usually His Word. So that's why we, we preach, and you probably get tired of me saying it, that we need to spend time in the Word every day. Really spend time in it. And really, and I, I, don't, I don't mean when I say really spend time in it, I don't mean that you've got to set your clock for an hour and every morning you have to have a whole hour of just reading the Bible. It's nice if you can do that. But I've spent hours in the Bible, <coughs> and after the, the hour is over, I'm really not sure what I did. My mind was running about everything and, and being with everything. So I'm just confessing to you that I think it's important that we, when we come, when we meet, be alone with the Lord, we want to study his word, have his word help us to grow, that we need to discipline our minds, our thinking, our focus, really try to slow down and to think about what you're reading or as Rick has said when you're praying to think about who you're going to for to talk to to think about that to let that permeate your mind so that when you start praying and running your mouth 
that you know who you are, who is on the other side of that conversation. You understand what I'm saying? Who is listening, who you're focusing on. And when you start taking the word and beginning to apply it like that, slowly you begin to grow and mature because the Holy Spirit takes that and works in your heart, your life. And so that's really, really important. And so in that passage that we were, that we were looking at after the sons of Sceva, it says that the word of God was growing mightily. Similar thing happened in Acts 12. In Acts 12, uh, you have, um, well, let me read it to you. This is uh, the children of Israel, this influence of Herod. Uh, it says that, he was, that Herod was very angry with the people of Tyre and Sidon. And with one accord, they came to him and having won over Blastus. Blastus was like an intermediary between Herod and the leaders of Tyre. And, and uh, so um, they came to him and having won over Blastus, the churches, the king's chamberlain, they were asking for peace because their country was filled with, was fed by the king's country. I know it's a little bit uh, confusing, but I'm, because I'm starting in the middle of the text. But it gets clear. It says, on an appointed day, Herod, having put on his royal apparel, this is kind of a, a silver, metallic, uh, fine uh, robe that was bright and shiny and silver. He put on this, this uh, robe, royal apparel, and he took his seat on the rostrum and began delivering an address, address to them. So here he is before the people. The people fear Herod. Uh, they are trying to, to boost his ego in something. And so the people became, kept crying out the voice of a God and not a man. They were yelling that, boasting of his ego and stuff like that. And it says there that you couldn't see it, but in the same vicinity was an angel. This angel couldn't take it anymore. And so he struck him because he did not give glory to God. He was here basking in this supposed glory. And this angel came and it says uh, that he struck him because he didn't, give glory to God and he was eaten by worms and he died that's the that's the original diet of worms if you will and he died there before Lord in much much pain Josephus says that it was several days in which he actually died and he was in massive pain until he did die and uh, but the thing I want you to see is that after that took place next verse verse 24 it says the word of the Lord continued to grow to be multiplied. In other words, the influence of the word, it was speaking, it was using these things, the Holy Spirit was using these things, and it began, its influence began to grow and to apply. We want that in this church, don't we? We want, we want, we want Jesus Christ to use his word in our lives so that others will ask us a reason for the hope that we have within us so that we can explain to other people they need to see it. If it's not in my life, if it's not in your life, they won't see it. So they need to see it. The Spirit needs to use it, use us. And so we want to do that. Is he doing that with your life? Is he doing that with my life? I have to ask that question. That's, the, that's an important question. That's an important issue. And so anyway, um, another place of growth, um, or, or talk about because that is a very simple one in John 3.30. When Jesus and John the Baptist, uh, John the Baptist, it's talking about um, Jesus and it says he must, you, you know the verse, he must increase, I must decrease, and word increase is the word growth. And what it's just saying is the influence of Jesus must grow while my influence is, is to decrease. 
uh, he, I'm the reason, uh, he's the reason why I came. They said the Lord put me here to pave the way for him. And so it is the proper thing. And even though they were disciples of John the Baptist and they didn't want to surrender to him because he was so important in their lives, yet at the same time, he said, no, 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 no. I am to decrease. He is to increase. That is, that's, that's the way it should be. And that's that that uh, when it says he must increase, that's the word of growth. The influence and the must uh, for him must grow. And we want that, we want our lives and our ministry to cause him to increase, uh, his influence to increase. We want to be used of him uh, like that so that the church is not known for a church of just sweet people, but that we love the Lord Jesus. And that's not going to happen unless we do. That's the only way it's going to happen. In uh, another area, um, in 2 Corinthians 9 and 10, uh, it, it talks about this as being a growth that you would expect this, wouldn't you? Coming from God. It's God that causes that growth. Um, 2 Corinthians 9 and 10, Now he who supplies seed to the sower and bread to the, for food for, will supply and multiply your seed for sowing. What he's doing is he's saying the illustration here is that if the farmer goes out to sow, he takes seed, he supplies the seed, and uh, who is it that supplies that seed? Well, the farmer goes out of the store and buys it. But who is it ultimately supplies the seed? It's God. He's the one that ultimately supplies the seed for the sower. And after the process of all that seed is harvested and the flour has been put together and kneaded and made into bread, he's the one that supplies the bread. God supplies both the seed and the bread, and uh, he's the one that will multiply your seed for sowing and increase, listen, I love these words, increase, that's the word growth. He will grow the harvest of your righteousness. Your rightness, that's what righteousness is. It's right living, it's doing the right thing, it's having the right thing, it's, it's following God's standard. And that's that kind of living produces an influence, a harvest of righteousness. He is the one that provides that harvest of righteousness. Do you have that in your life? Do I have that in my life? I don't see that, not like I'd like to see it. I really don't. And I, I, I've talked to the Lord about it, and I, I want to be pleasing to him. I want my life to be pleasing to him. You understand? That's just really important. It's really important. Nothing else is more important than that. Another passage along the same line is in 1 Corinthians chapter 3, um, talking about this planting and sowing, then he who, the one who plants, nor the one who waters is anything, but God who causes the growth. So you have the harvest, you have one who plants something, and that's true of the, the church, the ministry. We do things, we sing, we read the Bible, or we teach, or we go out and we visitate, or we put down the banisters, or, or the banner, or cut the grass. We do a lot of things like that. But the one who really gets the credit for the success of the ministry, we've already said, is not us, but it's God. And that's what he said. When he plants, nor the one who waters <coughs> in anything, but God who causes the growth, and that is the word. God is the one that causes the growth. And that's what we're after here in the church. And guys, listen, it is, if the church is small like that, you say, well, the pastor's not doing a good job. It's kind of, he's just falling down the job. He's not doing it. If the church grows and it's busting at the seams, and we hold the pastor up and say, well, he's doing a great job and stuff like that. But it's actually God. It has to be the Lord, the one that does that. That's one reason why I think we struggle is because God knows my ego, and I just can't handle a boosted ego. God is the one that knows what he's doing. He really is. He's in charge. For which I'm thankful. 
And he's the one that, that should have to go. You see, that's he's the one that supplies that. He's the one that enables that. Just, we have the inquiry study. And we appreciate Larry leading that, and it's a good study. And I encourage you to come if you can. But uh, the ultimate purpose of trying to get people there, while we can invite people and tell people to send out cards and do everything like that, John is the one that has to go in the hearts and reach in the hearts. The uh, this Zoom thing, I don't know what else to call it, um, that reaches out and we know that it reaches out of places all over the world. But it's not, we have that technology, we can use that technology, but why in the world would anybody want to turn in and listen to this, listen to me, or listen to somebody else rant on, unless the Spirit of God was working in their hearts and lives. You see what I'm saying? So it has to be, it's God who causes the growth, he does that, um, and he's the one that's in charge of that. And so we need to grow maybe one one or two more verses ephesians talks about church unity and you know the verse there uh, we all attain the unity of the faith this is the powerful statement um the, the ministry continues until we all continue all attain the unity of the faith so that we are united in christ united in the faith and of the knowledge of the Son of God. There's that knowledge that we need to have of the Son of God. To a mature man, to the measure of the statue which belongs, listen to that, to a mature man, to the measure of the statue which belongs to the fullness of Christ. You talk about a, a passage pregnant with some impressive words. There it is. As a result, we no longer, which means we did in the past, but we no longer are to be children that are tossed here and there by waves and carried about by every wind of doctrine, by the trickery of men, by craftiness, and deceitful scheming, but speaking, communicating the truth in love, we are to grow up in all aspects under him who is ahead. So that is kind of the, all of these things pulled together in like a package, and we are to in communicating the truth, do so in a way of love and, and growing up, maturing, as the word matures, as God matures us, as we are to grow up in all aspects unto him who is the head, even Christ. So he is the goal, he is the focus of our lives, he is the he is the one we come before, the one we seek to, to please, the one that we serve. He is he is our Lord, he is our boss. That's what uh, one of my friends said when she was a became a, a believer and we were we teach Bible study, we're talking about Christ being the Lord. And she said, she interrupted me and she said, He's the boss. And I said, Yes, <laughs> he's the boss. That's exactly right. Um in First Peter chapter two, one more two more verses talks about putting aside all Peter does this and he's really good at it, putting aside all malice. See here, here's the approach to the word. Don't just approach it, but put aside malice and deceit and hypocrisy and envy and all slander. And like new babies, long for the pure milk of the word so that you can grow by it. There is the nourishment of your growth. The same thing is true in Second Peter, where he says, um, Beloved, knowing therefore, uh, knowing these things, he's, he's talked about the word. Uh, since you look for these things, it's talking about the new heavens and the earth, be diligent to be found in him in peace, spotless and blameless, and regard God's patience 
patience of our Lord and Savior is also the beloved brother Paul, according to the wisdom given to him, wrote to you. Peter is talking about Paul now, Paul's writings is also in all his letters, speaking in them of these things in which some things are hard to understand, which the untaught and unstable distort. He's talking about Paul's writings as they do also the rest of the scriptures to their own destruction. You therefore, beloved, knowing this beforehand, be on your guard so that you are not carried away by the error of unprincipled men and fall from your own steadfastness. But in contrast to falling away, being on guard so that you can grow in the grace and knowledge of our Savior, Jesus Christ. Go in two areas, go in grace. God's, grace is God's provision. It's sometimes used almost synonymous with, with uh, the provision of salvation, but it's his provision and we stand in grace and everything he gives us comes in grace. And he is the one that gives us his strength. The spirit is the spirit that ministers in grace. It's connected uh, with the idea of spiritual gifts. And so we are to grow in grace and the knowledge of our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. Grow in your understanding of Christ. Some of you probably, I'm sure you did in school, remember days when you'd come into the classroom and you'd be sitting down talking and then the teacher would come up and the teacher would say, all right, put your books away, get out a pencil and a piece of paper. And you knew what was coming. Last class, he assigned you to read the history book in chapters two and three and four. I want you to read them, come to class, prepare to discuss it. But you didn't come, you didn't do your reading, but you came to class. Now you're there, he's gonna give you a pop quiz to see what you know. And that's kind of the same thing here. We, we're told we need to know about Jesus Christ. We need to know something about what he's like. This is like a pop quiz for us. The first question, if I would write it, something scroll, you do that. You don't even write a lot of notes there. First question is, who is Jesus? And so you have to sit down and write, who is Jesus? After you finish looking at that, then you want to ask the second question, what is the significance? And this is the second question. What is the significance of, colon, number one, his birth? Secondly, what is the significance of his lineage, his family tree? Third, what is the significance of his life? Fourth, what is the significance of his teaching? What is the significance of his death? What is the significance of his resurrection? What is the significance of his destiny? He's the greatest man you ever lived, and he impacts us so much. And these are questions that you can go to the scriptures, you can get answers, and you can be graded on that. The last question I would ask you is, what is, the, what is his significance to you? That's asking for your own personal evaluation. That's not asking you what the Bible says per se, but what he is to you after knowing these things. And the answer to that question is not going to make much difference in the class grade, but it will make a difference in your eternal destiny, who he is to you, what you've done with him. And that's the question I would ask you this morning, is who is Jesus to you? What are you doing with him? Do you know him? Do you know about him? Is he your Lord? Is he your boss? Is he the one who, when you die, are you looking forward to looking into the eyes of the, of his, of the one who gave his life to you? To see him, who was the panic Crosby? He wrote, she was blind and she wrote that him face to face with Jesus. What's it going to be like to see him face to face? She's been blind all her life.
but now she's alive with him. She can see him face to face. What is his significance to you? Let's pray. Father, we do thank you for the growth that you have given to us physically. We obviously are growing over some of us more than we'd like, but we're still growing and we're thankful. Thank you for your the health that you've given to us. Thank you for the the blessings of having food and shelter and things of this life. But infinitely more important than that is our love for you and our service to you. And I pray that you'll help us to really take these things seriously. Take you seriously. Help me to take you more seriously. Help me to surrender more fully. Help me to love you more faithfully. Help us to really and truly honor you. Lord, I pray for the influence that's in my life, and I have influence there at Lowe's and here at the church, and I pray for the influence in our lives and the things that we do. We have banners up out there. We tell people about BBS. We got the Empowered Bible Study. We have the yard sale. A few things that we're trying to reach out. Help us, help us to be an outreach of your word, that we would see your growth in this church not so that the ego <coughs> of the pastor is stroked. I don't want that. I'm praying that it will not happen like that. I'm asking rather that the ministry of and the effect of and the honor of the Lord Jesus Christ would be uplifted and magnified and glorified and his name would become more faithfully and fully published and announced in this world that is steeped in so much rebellion and sin and immorality and perversion. Help us to be a voice of clarity from your word to this world that Jesus Christ and Jesus Christ alone will be lifted up and exalted. And I ask this in his name with thanksgiving.